Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you here this morning with us. As you just heard Zach say, today's the fourth and final installment of the Money Talk series, and you know what that means. It's my last shot at it. My last chance, at least this time around, to teach you from the Word of God how to enjoy and experience genuine financial freedom. And I know I mentioned this earlier in the series. In fact, I may have said this a couple of times. But my objective when talking about this important topic, the topic of money, is not to guilt or shame you into writing bigger checks to the church or giving the church more money. That's not at all our goal. My sincere desire is to help you secure the highest and most favorable divine blessing on your finances. That's what we desire for you. Now, in comparison to the rest of the world, you may not know this, but we're rich. We are very wealthy. Here in this country, we make a lot of money, way more than average. But just because there's a steady stream of money that flows through our hands, that doesn't necessarily mean that we have God's blessing on our finances. But that's what I desire for you. That's what I want. I want you to acknowledge God when it comes to your money. I want you to be able to see God as your source and to know him as Jehovah Jireh, your provider. And instead of always worrying about money, instead of thinking one day the bottom's going to fall out, I want you to be able to have the confidence to say, my God, My God shall supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And furthermore, my God is the way maker. He makes a way where there is no way. See, I want you to add God. I want you to bring God along with you when you're thinking about money, when you're thinking about finances. And God will provide all of my needs. And that's precisely what Isaiah said in Isaiah 43, 19. He said it this way. God makes a way in the wilderness. Where? In the palace? In the place of plenty? He makes a way in the wilderness. He provides streams in the wasteland. To me, that's blessing. That's divine blessing. And when you have that kind of confidence in God, what happens, it takes the pressure off of you being the way maker. You always having to carry around the stress and the worry of money. When you can bring God in, it lessens the load that we all have with this particular subject. Now, according to hot off the press statistics, this is the way many people live. They carry the burden. They have all of this stress and all of this worry. And the reason why that is for a lot of people uh, is 76% of all Americans, how many? 76%, so three out of four, live paycheck to paycheck. And I know people who live paycheck to paycheck work hard, and they do their best to make financial ends meet. But when you live that way, when you live paycheck to paycheck, 
if something unexpected were to happen to your income or for some reason you were to lose your job, guess what? That creates a lot of trouble for you. That causes a lot of problems. And can you see why there's so much stress and so much worry associated with finance? In the back of our minds, we're always thinking we're just one step away, just one decision away from financial ruin and devastation. And that puts a lot of fear in the hearts of people. But when we experience financial freedom, which is what I've been trying to teach you all month, when we get to the place of wanting and desiring financial freedom, when we can get a handle on our spending, when we're not shelling out $1.40 for every dollar we make, when we say once and for all we're going to put our house in order, we're going to get out of debt, and we're going to stop being a servant to the lender, that's when we can open up a whole new world for ourselves. And I'm talking about the blessed world, the blessed way, the biblical way. And that's what God's word teaches us. So again, this is my last shot at it. My last appeal to passionately try to get you to take this whole issue of biblical stewardship seriously. And today what I want to do is I want to get downright practical. I want to give you seven steps or seven ways to track your success financially, seven ways to stay in step when it comes to finances, and in so doing, actually enjoy life and at the same time, impact the kingdom of God. And how many of you know that's an unbeatable combination? When you can actually have some joy and know that you're impacting the kingdom of God. And if you're already there, and I know some of you are, if you're already financially free and you've taken the steps to get out of debt, and most of everything that I've been teaching you uh, throughout the month has been more like review, then God bless you, congratulations, way to go. I'm proud of your efforts. But you can do me a favor. You can really help me out this morning. Instead of just sitting there, you can put a smile on your face, nod your head from time to time, and in so doing, say to the rest of the people, you know what? He's telling the truth. This is good stuff. In fact, why don't you try that? Why don't you turn to the person next to you and whisper to them, get a load of this. You need this. All right. Proverbs 9.1 says this. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up or hewn out its seven pillars. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up seven pillars. And this whole idea or concept of seven pillars, the way they used to construct houses, it represents a steady, complete, orderly, and well-established house. In other words, a house in order. And that's what we're after. We're after a solid financial portfolio. We're after the right kind of stability when it comes to our finances. And so I want you to think of these seven practical steps I'm about to give you as seven pillars of good finance or seven pillars of financial freedom. And in the way of total transparency and complete disclosure, I feel the need to tell you 
that I copied these seven principles from another financial advisor. After reading them, I thought they were good, so I made them my own, all seven of them. And the financial advisor that I copied them from is Solomon, King Solomon. And they're all, or most of what I'm about to tell you, is in the book of Proverbs, a.k.a. otherwise known as, or also known as, the book of Wisdom. So here we go. Seven pillars of financial freedom that's going to bring everything that we've been talking about for the last several weeks together. And a lot of this is review. But let's start with pillar number one. Ego confido in diem. I'm not going to say it again because that was Latin and I probably slaughtered it. But does anybody know what that means? That's right. Trust in God or trust the Lord. And where do we see a statement like this? On our money. In God we trust. Not only on the paper, but also on the coin. And so uh, pillar number one, when it comes to good finance or financial freedom, is trusting in God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In most of your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. Is that right? Oh, oh okay. I, I got it wrong. In all of your ways except for money, trust in him. Oh, oh in all of your ways, including finance, which is so hard for many, many people. It's like everything else but the money. I'll surrender everything to God. I'll give God my heart. I'll give God my life, anything he wants, except for our finances. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, including your money, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. He'll give you guidance. He'll establish you. He'll show you what to do because he's that kind of a God. Now, when we say trust the Lord with your finances, what does that really mean? Well, what does it mean to trust God when it comes to salvation or forgiveness of sins? It means to take him at his word, right? To listen to what he has to say about that particular subject in his word and then just to believe it. In the book of Romans, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Do you accept that? Do you believe that? Of course you do. It's in the Bible. It's one of our doctrines. And we preach that doctrine and we believe that doctrine because it's in the word of God. We trust what God has to say about salvation. The Bible also says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? Do you trust in that? Of course you do. It's in the Bible. John said it. Inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell us we're going to make mistakes, but if we ask God to forgive us, he is going to do that. In the same way, trusting God with our finances or with our money means that we're willing to believe what he has to say about money in his word. And when we believe it, then we become obedient to it and we do it. And when we're obedient to what God asks us to do, that's what gives us the confidence to know that he will provide for us. And he will make a way where there is no way. 
And when you read the Bible carefully, here's what it has to say about money from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, and everywhere in between, over and over again, so there's no mistake, God says the same thing with regard to money. It's mine. It belongs to me. Everything you have, everything that you're gifted with in this life, you came into the world with nothing, you're going to leave with nothing. But everything in between, it's mine, God says. 10% of everything you have is holy. That's set apart. That's not to be included with the rest. That's different. But even with the 90%, the 90% that you sometimes take and say, okay, that's mine. I gave God his 10. This is mine. It's still his. And he just allows us to manage it for him. He allows us to oversee it. So in addition to saying in his word that everything we have is his, God goes the next step and says, but you know what? We're in covenant relationship with each other. And because we're in covenant relationship, I want to bless you as well. And that's precisely what it says in Deuteronomy 29, verses 11 and 12. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity. What kind of prosperity? Not just prosperity, but abundance, a lot. The Lord will open the heavens, actually open the storehouse of his bounty. Check this stuff out. To send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. Did you catch that last part? God wants to bless the work of our hands. He cares about us. He knows what we need. And he's willing to get involved in everything that we're involved in. And so trusting God with our finances means that we trust what God has to say about money. And this one pillar, this pillar called trust, is an extremely significant house pillar when it comes to money. All right, pillar number two, diligence, or be diligent in all that you do. Proverbs 10, 4, and 5 says, Lazy hands make for poverty. But diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son or daughter, but he who sleeps or plays video games during harvest is a disgraceful son. And for those of you listening to the podcast, I added the video game part. It's not really in the Word of God. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says this, Paul speaking, or Paul writing, while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Those who don't work, they don't eat. And from Paul's perspective, this wasn't a recommendation or a suggestion. This was a command. This is what he was instructing the people to do and how to live their lives. And he set a really good example in this regard. Paul was an apostle of the Christian faith. He went around preaching the gospel message, planting churches, establishing leaders. If there was anyone who deserved a love offering when he went to preach, it was Paul. But he never accepted one, never took one for himself because he worked a day job making tents. And after his tent-making shift was over, that's when he did his sermons. That's when he prepared his work. And so he tells us we need to be diligent in working. 
Because in God's financial world, able bodies have to work. There's no other way around it. Now I'm talking about hard work. There are no shortcuts to financial freedom. And the thought of all of the get-rich-quick schemes that are floating around, you know, they're good for thinking about when you're lying in bed at night and you can't sleep, but they're not reality. Reality is being able to produce what's called an honest day's work, to be diligent and tenacious and conscientious, whether it's at the workplace, at the marketplace, at school, at home, on the computer, whatever capacity of work your current season of life has brought you to. There's absolutely no substitute for diligent and hard work. And in Matthew chapter 20, it was Jesus who told the parable of the vineyard workers. Remember that one? He said the owner of the vineyard, or the master of the vineyard, went out all during the day gathering workers to work in his field. He went early in the morning. He went at the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour. And at each one of those times, he was able to get some workers, and he put them all to work in his vineyard. And then at the 11th hour, Jesus said, like right around 5 o'clock in the afternoon, just one hour before quitting, the vineyard owner made one final pass. And believe it or not, he still saw some people standing around. He said, what are you doing? Why are you wasting the day? Why haven't you worked this entire day? And he put them to work for that one final hour. And he paid them. And he did that so that they could feel productive with their lives. So they could know and have confidence that they were able to do something. You may think it's the 11th hour, but it's never too late. As long as you have breath, as long as you have life, God wants you to be fruitful and productive in the kingdom of God. And this whole idea of diligence is important. Colossians 3.17 says this, Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, pillar number three, establish a budget. Can I get you to say that? Establish a budget. Remember, we're talking about good finance, financial freedom, seven pillars of financial freedom. And... I say pillar number three, and and these are not in any specific order, is to establish a budget. I use the word establish instead of create because according to the experts, the majority of people have a budget, but they just don't use it. A lot of people come up with a budget, uh, but they lay it aside. Let me say something this morning that may well be the most profound thing I say. Your budget is not going to do you a lick of good, even if you have one, if you don't monitor it and if you don't stay on track. I know that was a long statement, so let me say it again. The budget that you came up with to try and help you with your finances is not going to do you any good if you don't monitor that budget and stay on track with it. And when it comes to a budget, let me give you 
a few of the top values of a budget. It helps you control spending. Amen, Pastor? Amen. <laughs> a budget will help you control spending. A budget lets you know that you, whether or not you have the money to buy the things that you think you absolutely have to have. And check this out, a budget will help you pay all your bills on time. It will compel you to curb overspending, help you save a little for a rainy day, establish a, an emergency fund, and even invest a little money into the future. Wow, a budget does all that? Yes, a budget does all that and more. In fact, over time, an effective budget will eventually free you from paycheck to paycheck living. In other words, it will give you a little freedom, a little margin, a little breathing room. If you can create an emergency fund, if you have a little bit of money put aside, then if for one reason or another you don't have income coming in, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to hurt you. And so a budget is extremely important. Establishing a budget is a pillar in your financial house. And that leads me to pillar number four, eliminate debt. Now, we detailed this one out during the series, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. Just a little bit of review. When we talk about financial freedom, this pillar of eliminating debt should be the ultimate goal. We should try to free ourselves of all debt other than mortgage debt or our rent payment. And a couple of weeks ago, I told you the secret to all of this. If you want to get out of debt, what? You have to stop using debt. Friend, you can't keep debt around. You can't be happy with debt. You have to learn to say no to debt even if it means no new stuff for a while. And I know how hard that is, because everybody else has one. Everybody else has the newest and the greatest and latest. You know, getting out of debt might mean that you can't spend and get something new every time you think about it. It might even mean that you have to downsize, God forbid, or sell something that you already have. And then after you eliminate the credit card debt and the, and the consumer debt and all the payments that have the high interest rate, that's when you can start to go after your mortgage. And please believe me when I tell you, trust me on this. Other than salvation and possibly falling in love, there is absolutely no greater feeling on the face of the whole earth than to be debt-free. Owing nobody nothing. I want you to experience that in this lifetime. I want you to know what it's like to be free from the pressures of financial debt. I also know how difficult it is in this culture and in this world in which we live to have that kind of an attitude and mindset. There's just so much around us, so much availability. It takes a lot of sacrifice and a whole lot of discipline to say, I'm going to live a debt-free lifestyle. But you can get there. 
It's attainable. We gave a testimony a couple of weeks ago that several people talked to me after one, of the, one or two of the lessons telling me, you know what, I'm debt free and you know, we've been working on this for a couple years and we're debt free. You can do it. You can knock down your debt if you really want to. And you don't have to wait for your big break or a relative to die and leave you a lot of money. You can start right now taking a baby step and making this a, a powerful pillar in your house. All right, financial freedom pillar number five is contentment. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content. Be content with what you have. Now, earlier in this series, I told you that unfortunately, none of us are born with contentment. We are not hardwired to be content. It's not a part of our DNA. Contentment is a spiritually mature attribute that has to be learned. It's a learned behavior. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, I want you to know, it didn't come easy for me. Paul said, I had a hard time with this one. But by the grace of God, I was able to put into practice this whole issue of contentment and by God's grace, I learned the secret of being content. The what? Wait for it. Being satisfied and at peace with what God has provided for you. Amen. Being satisfied and at peace with what God has provided for you. That's contentment. Not what God is doing for everybody else. Not living by comparison, not wanting to be uh, and have the same blessing that your, your neighbor, your friend has, but being content with what God has done for me. Being satisfied with the relationship that I have with God. You know, I wonder sometimes when I read through the Word of God and I, I, I think about uh, what Paul was teaching us here in Philippians about contentment, what it must have been like for Paul he was an apostle called by God to preach the gospel message and persecuted his entire ministry because of it. He was beaten with rods. He was beaten with whips. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. There were times he was thrown into jail and he was left to rot there like a common criminal. And yet all the time that he was going through these sufferings, Simon Peter was having a ball. Simon Peter, another apostle, called to preach the same uh, truth that Paul was preaching. And yet he could come and go as he pleased most of the time. He could travel around. He could have fellowship with his brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, he had a life that appeared to be easy. How did Paul handle all this? How could Paul resolve this in his mind? One word, contentment. He wasn't fixated on what was happening with everyone else and how everybody else was doing. He found his ultimate satisfaction in God's provision for him. That's contentment. It's working on our relationship with God and being in the sweet spot of our relationship with God that we are satisfied with what God is doing for us. Listen to what Proverbs 37 through 9 says. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. 
do not refuse me before I die. Pretty passionate request here, right? Lord, before I die, there's two things I want you to do for me. Here's the first thing. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. That's number one. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Number two, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? You know anybody like that? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the Lord or dishonor the name of my God. What a prayer request. What a desire to have. And it all boils down to one issue. Contentment. Lord, let me be content with my daily bread. Teach me. Show me. Help me to be at peace with what you have provided for me. All right, pillar number six, we're getting there. Two more to go. Pillar number six is generosity. Can I get you to say that? Generosity. Generosity. Last week, we spent the majority of our time talking about generosity. Not only did we talk about it, but we also illustrated it. In fact, last Sunday, Community Christian Church showed tremendous generosity by giving everybody who was in attendance $10. Who does that? When was the last time you went to church and somebody paid you 10 bucks just for showing up? We gave you the $10 to give away to somebody else because we know when you do that, we know that when you give money away, you actually trigger a principle found in God's word. Do you know what that principle is? Sowing and reaping. So we gave you the money, not for you, but we gave it to you to give it to someone else knowing full well that God would bring a return on that money. Jesus said, give and it shall be given to you, what? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's a lot. That's abundance. It's not like, okay, when you finally have abundance, and you finally have enough that you feel like the cup's running over, then you can throw someone else a bone. No, that's not the order. Jesus said when you give, when you're generous towards someone else, that's when the gates, the floodgates of heaven will open for you. And so we gave you that amount of money to give to someone else because generosity yields God's biggest and best return. I wish I could communicate this to you where you would believe me. Generosity is from the heart of God. It's an attribute we can't get any other way. And the scripture teaches us over and over again when we exercise generosity, it triggers God's generosity. And he gives back to us. And I know sometimes we have to hold on to our money. Because sometimes we think we're not going to have enough for us. I mean, let's face it, there's always something that needs to be fixed. There's always something that needs to be replaced. We need money. There's always, so why should we give away some of our hard-earned money when we can keep it for ourselves? Why? Because when you give, there is a God-ordained return that you can't get any other way. That money releases a blessing from God that you can't find anywhere else in the world, and you need that blessing. And when you spend money on yourself, hard-earned money, there's nothing wrong with that. 
and the money that you spend on yourself, it'll give you a lot of good things. But how many know there's some things money can't buy? You can buy a house, but you can't buy a home. You can buy gifts, but not good health. You can buy companionship, but not love, entertainment, but not happiness, possessions, but not peace of mind. You can buy a bunch of toys, but not time. Where do you think you get some of these other things that I'm talking about, things that you can't purchase with money? They come from the hand of God. God blesses us with these things. And when you willingly sow into someone else's life, when you follow the promptings and the urgings of God and you reach out and bless someone else who might be in need, the scripture declares over and over again, then God will sow into your life. That's a good exchange if you ask me. I'll say it again. When you give and you sow into someone else's life, the Bible promises that God will sow into your life. Just one verse Proverbs 11.25, a generous man or woman will prosper and he or she who refreshes others will be refreshed. In the message it says, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. Those who help others are helped. And it's God who's doing the helping. So there's trust and diligence. There's budgeting and debt elimination. There's contentment and generosity. And the seventh and final pillar of good finance is the tithe. T-I-T-H-E. The tithe or 10% of what we make. And as we bring this message to a close, if you ask me, and you may not want to ask me, you may not care at all about my opinion. But from my perspective, this one pillar, the tithe, is the greatest and most compelling of them all. And I say that for two reasons. You know, I vision in my mind when I read Solomon say that there's, you know, nine pill or seven pillars in a house that makes it strong. I, I see a center pillar like being the most important one. To me, that would be the tithe. The one that holds everything else up. And again, I say that for two reasons. Number one, the tithe honors God. The tithe reveals a willingness to trust him and to take him at his word. There's no other good reason for doing it other than being obedient to his word. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Do what? Honor, verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of the tithe of all of your crops or all of your increase. Then, verse 10, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. We love verse 10. And we talk about verse 10 all the time. And for just a moment, forget about your barrels and your barns and everything that might be coming your way, all the blessing, all the benefits, and just focus in for a second on verse 9. Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your income, with your benefits, with everything that God has blessed you with. And the way to trigger that kind of blessing, the Bible says, is with a tithe. Understanding, acknowledging that 10% God has reserved 
for himself. And that 10% belongs to the local church. The church that God has led you to, the church where you're planted, where you're able to use the spiritual gift that God has given to you so you can find purpose. The church that you attend because you believe in the vision and the mission of the church and that the people of the church are all moving in the same direction. So the first reason that I think that the tithe is a weighty and an important pillar is because it proves that we can trust God and honor God. And then the second reason is because the tithe, check it out, the tithe is the only way that the local church can survive. It's the only way that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, which is to preach the gospel message. That responsibility belongs to us. If the local church doesn't do it, nobody's going to do it. And if we, the people of God, stop to invest, stop investing in the gospel message, guess what? It's going to go away. There's not going to be a gospel message. If we don't commit ourselves to fully making sure that this gospel message can continue, it's going to dissipate and go away. I don't want that. I don't think you want that. So as believers, we have to continue to fight for the gospel, contend for the faith, and leave footprints of truth for other generations to follow. It's a responsibility that falls on the shoulders of the church, and God says the way that I will cause the church to survive and thrive is through the tithe. And so once again, seven pillars of financial freedom. This kind of culminates everything that we've been talking about for the last month. Seven principles of truth found in God's word that will sustain and uphold every single house. Trust the Lord. Be diligent in all you do. Establish a budget. Eliminate debt. Learn contentment. Show generosity. And honor the Lord with your tithe. And you have that on your card in case you haven't noticed that. Let's bow our heads for prayer. We're going to close out this series with a song. Appreciate those of you who made a special effort to be here and those of you who responded with comments and emails and compliments telling me that this has been good for you. Thank you for your willingness to open your heart to God and to listen to what the Word of God has to say about finance. Again, you may not care about this, but I put a lot of time and effort into this study probably close to 100 hours of my time. And I didn't do it just for me. I did it for you. Because my heart's desire is for you not to carry around the normal stress and anxiety that we have in this country when it comes to finance. I want you to be free of all that. I want you to know that you're making a difference. I want you to be able to have a a financial house that's in order. And to know that God is not only give you his abundance, which will cause you to have joy and happiness, but you will be able to impact the kingdom of God. That's the legacy that you're going to leave when you get to the end of your life, that you were able to do something to promote the gospel message. Let me ask you to just bow your heads. Appreciate you paying attention. But Jesus said something that's really important for us to understand. 
I purposely didn't include this in the series at all. I wanted to kind of close out with it. He said, there's a principle at work in everybody's life. He said, you can't serve two masters. It's impossible. You have to make a choice. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. And there's a lot of people trying to do both. I don't know about you, but I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve the Lord with all my heart. In all of my ways, I want to now acknowledge him. And I pray that it's your heart desire as well. I pray that God will direct your path. And I pray his full and complete blessing over your finances. And for those of you who, through the series, have felt the call of the Holy Spirit, we're asking God to give you the grace, the discipline, and the strength to follow through with those decisions so that at the end of this year, you'll be way better off financially than you were at the beginning of the year. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us from your word on such a valuable, important, and critical topic in our lives. Lord, we want to give it all to you. You're worthy of it all. And we want to serve you. Nothing else, Lord. Just you. I pray your blessing on your people. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.